Welcome to the Passive Investing Show, a show that teaches you how to take your hard-earned cash and have it work hard for you, regardless of whether or not you continue to work hard for it. And now, here are your hosts, Jay Scott and Ashley Wilson. Welcome to the Passive Investing Show. I'm Ashley Wilson, and I'm joined here with my co-host, Jay Scott. Today's episode was filmed live in Go Abundance, Miami, but unfortunately, I was unable to be there. Jay, however, had the great pleasure to meet Alex Cannon. And Jay, how did it go? Yeah, I, I had a great conversation with Alex. Uh, he is the founder and the CEO of Conan Law Firm, and they're a boutique New York City law firm. They specialize in real estate, corporate law, blockchain law, um, basically um, all the cool new technology relating to real estate. He's also the chairman of the Wall Street Blockchain Alliance's tokenization working group. And I know that's a lot of words right there, um, but basically this conversation is all about um, this idea called tokenization or fractionalization. And that's basically a fancy way of saying how we're using the same technology that powers crypto. So something called blockchain, using the same technology that powers crypto to revolutionize the way that we're doing real estate, uh, large real estate deals, how we're uh, transferring real estate title, um, how we're doing real estate syndications. Um, and it, it was just an amazing conversation. Um, so for anybody out out there that's interested, and this should be everybody that's that's investing in any type of big deals, syndicated deals, for anybody that's interested in learning about how the future of blockchain, the technology again behind crypto, is going to revolutionize the real estate industry and the syndication industry, this episode is for you. Alex is a brilliant guy. Um, I learned a whole bunch and, and there was just a lot of great ideas for where things are headed in our industry. So without any further ado, let's welcome Alexander Conan to the show. Alex, welcome to the Passive Investing Show. Hi, Jay. Thank you very much for having me. Oh, I'm thrilled to have you. This is going to be a great conversation. So let's start. Um, can you tell our listeners a little bit about you, what your background is, what you've done, and what you're currently doing? Sure. Background-wise, uh, I'm a practicing attorney. Um, in my past life, I was in title insurance industry. And then gradually, I transitioned into a full-time practice of law. Uh, over the past 20 years, much of my practice has been focused on transactional real estate and business transactions. And uh, some years back, uh, what started as just an accommodation, because we had a client who asked if we would accept a part of our fee in Bitcoin, um, we decided to accommodate and uh, we charged the client a 20% premium to accommodate such an unusual form of payment. And that kind of is what started my journey down this rabbit hole. So, um, but thereafter, um, he referred another client who was uh, in, in a hedge fund business and uh, was a part of an entire network of hedge fund guys who couldn't wait to spend their crypto. So that's kind of how I got dragged into this. And I myself, uh, I, was, I was eager to make myself as useful as possible as a transactional attorney. So um, I started tinkering with, uh, with, uh, with different digital wallets, uh, uh, practicing transfers, figuring out how can we accommodate uh, clients who want nothing to do with crypto and things like that. So little by little, we designed a 
protocol to conduct a, a real estate closing, whereby the consideration, or should I say most of the consideration, would be settled in peer-to-peer -peer transfer of digital assets. And uh, it literally, it, it gradually grew into uh, into a much larger project, whereby um, uh, so it 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 gradually developed into a, a real sort of service that we um, we provided to an entire sort of community of these hedge fund guys and closed an entire you know a whole bunch of transactions um, uh, where they purchased real estate, uh, entire portfolios of real estate. Um, since then, my interest has been much more focused on the technology itself uh, and less on you know having people liquidate their crypto to buy some other asset as the tax framework especially in United States has matured over time it, it became less and less advisable if you will to liquidate um, uh, crypto assets especially the ones who have which have appreciated over time and with emergence of different lending protocols which are now available uh, the same uh, crypto owners can now leverage their holdings and borrow against them instead of selling them outright so again i'm still extremely passionate about it and we still have clients who want to buy assets using crypto and the ones who have you know a particular financial profile and uh, a particular sort of tax exposure uh, can still do it but uh, by large U US citizens should 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 um, seek uh, professional advice before doing something like that awesome uh, so I'm first, sorry you asked me about me and I just went <laughs> off on a tangent but no that's yes. that, that's great yeah tell me well so so well, I guess the first question I have to ask is what did you do with that crypto that they paid you uh, the first guy paid you did, you did you keep it did you did you sell it do you still have it so um it was it was early on in the process, and uh, I have to confess I wasn't a a uh, um, a true believer, if you will, uh, at that point. And uh, as soon as uh, I saw the price move, I mean, I think it doubled, and uh, I I sold it. I sold it, and uh, I was so proud of myself when I did because uh, you know I I felt like you know this was a a profitable transaction for me. Uh, and I wanted nothing to do with it. And uh, obviously, hindsight, uh, 2020, I wish I didn't. But uh, that crypto didn't stay with me for long. But thereafter, I, I you know, had other crypto that I acquired, which uh, some of which is still with me. Awesome. I really want to talk about um, about how crypto and the technology behind crypto is likely to change the investing space and and you you specialize in in real estate investing law um, and crypto and so I, I really want to kind of examine the intersection of crypto and and maybe real estate investing and where things are headed or maybe investing in general before we do that uh, I'd love to step back because a lot of our listeners may not be familiar with the technology behind crypto they've heard the terms I'm sure crypto and nft and token can you give us just a little bit of background when you say the technology behind crypto um, what are you talking about so uh, these words I guess are the buzzwords that we hear uh, uh, very often um, but uh, I think uh, it's important to draw a distinction between 
crypto, which commonly refers to cryptocurrencies and uh, and uh, underlying technology, which is distributed ledgers, distributed ledger technology. I think those two are not one and the same, uh, but you could say that one is sort of based on another. So blockchain, for example, is a type of a distributed ledger technology and uh, cryptocurrencies are a are these are blockchain tokens which are native to to the blockchain and are maintained on the blockchain so the distinction being blockchain itself is a decentralized distributed immutable ledger that allows you to maintain record of transactions information data it's decentralized because it doesn't have a central governance uh, mechanism it doesn't have a central point of control it's distributed because the data and the information that it maintains is distributed over a large network of computers or nodes as some would call it and it's immutable uh, because once these entries once the information makes its way onto the blockchain meaning once a block is created and entered onto the blockchain thereafter it cannot be undone and changed at least not practically because it is nowadays it, because it is today it is no longer computationally and financially feasible uh, to uh, overtake control of the consensus on the blockchain like bitcoin for example that makes sense I, the analogy i like to use um that that I think resonates with a lot of people and I'd like to hear if, if you're good with this. Um, I kind of think back to the internet 20 years ago um, and everybody was talking about the websites and and whether Amazon was was going to be successful, whether pets.com was going to be successful, whether Google is going to be successful and the million other websites, most of which are gone before. And um, I like to equate those websites to the cryptocurrencies. Mm -hmm. So some of them in 20 years will probably still be around. A lot of them will probably have gone away. Um, but the underlying technology, again, back then it was the internet, that's here to stay. And for, for, for the crypto space, blockchain. Blockchain is the underlying technology. In 20 years, we don't know what coins are going to be successful, what coins will have gone away, which ones we'll never think about again. But the underlying technology, the ledger, the blockchain, that will likely be with us forever. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, now you're talking my language. <laughs> uh, I, I agree completely. I agree completely. I think you could say that uh, we um, we are now living. Uh, we're now living in a, in a in a new era, right? We're living in a new age where um, blockchain is now enabling entirely new forms of uh, sovereign and programmable ownership if you will, right? Where at the same time, it's bringing in all of those benefits which have historically been enjoyed by public markets. It's bringing those benefits into this age-old age uh, uh, you know, world of private equity and, and real estate. So, so that aspect of blockchain, or namely tokenization, is in my view truly transformative, truly. I want to talk about this tokenization because I think that's kind of – that's a term that we might not hear a lot these days. But I have a feeling over the next couple of years, um, instead of crypto, we're going to hear token or tokenization a whole lot more. Um, and again, I like to think of of 
the the crypto as as the website that sits on top of the platform. Um, but crypto is really just a token. Um, it's a way of representing data. Um, so when people talk about crypto and then people talk about tokens, how do you kind of – what's your preferred terminology there? So I uh, – over time, I, 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 I began using tokens more and the word crypto less. Uh, not because uh, of the some negative connotations that are related to it because – but because it's just it's, – it's, it's, not, it's not accurate enough to just refer to an entire industry uh, in one word, in my view. But uh, um, I think the main distinction is that when we refer to cryptocurrencies, we are talking about tokens. So there's various types of these blockchain tokens, right? You have currency tokens like Bitcoin, for example, money tokens, if you will. You have security tokens, which... I'm sure you've heard a lot about over the past couple of years, and those are in essence, you know, equity tokens. You have uh, you have you know utility tokens, which you know power participation on on a particular platform, if you will, and power reward mechanisms. So so these are different types of the same thing. These are all blockchain tokens. So when we refer to cryptocurrencies in general, we are referring to all these multiple groups and classifications of blockchain tokens. Yeah, Does that ex- then that's a yeah. that's a perfect uh, explanation. Mm-hmm. Um, and so let's let's kind of dig in there. So we we're all familiar with kind of the the money tokens, which that's what I like to think of as cryptocurrency. So the Bitcoin and the Ethereum sure. and the thousand other uh, coins that that represent um, uh, money or yes. currency, for for lack of a better term. Um, and then, like you said, um, there is the utility tokens. These are the things that um, you can save up tokens that will allow you kind of like you go to Chuck E. Cheese and you get enough tokens, you can get a toy. Um, or or <laughs> they can be real. Example. Or they can be really. Uh, so, and some of them are just as useless. Oh, yes. Some of them are exactly <laughs> just as useless. Um, they can represent social credits. They can represent credits in real things, though. Like they can represent. Um, you get tokens that you can cash in for for utilities, mm-hmm. like literal literal utilities. Yes. Um, and so they may be useful or they may not be. But I think the types of tokens that are going to be certainly most interest of me to me um, and as as an attorney maybe most interest yes. of you as a securities attorney I guess as most interest to you and maybe a lot of our listeners um, are those equity type tokens that you sure. talked about can you tell us a little bit more about so an equity token what does it represent what information does it hold how what, what can it be used for just in in real terms sure sure so um, I think it's a great question because what we hear commonly, referred to as tokenizing assets, right? For example, in my world, there's a lot of talk about tokenizing real estate, tokenizing a building, tokenizing an apartment, tokenizing a house. Uh, The reality is that currently what we have been able to do is create a digital counterpart to our existing analog systems and instruments. What I mean by that is what we have really been tokenizing this whole time, and we've been doing this for some time now, is actual interests in, in legal entities more, more than the underlying assets themselves. So in essence, instead of fractionalizing a piece of real estate, what is really fractionalized is the entity that owns it 
And uh, thereafter, the interests in that entity are then represented digitally on a blockchain uh, via, uh, you know, respective respective tokens. Perfect. So just kind of to reiterate um, what you said in, in how I think of things, um, you have an asset. Maybe it's real estate. Maybe it's a piece of artwork. Maybe it's um, this piece of paper. It doesn't matter. It's a, it's a hard asset. It's owned by a company. Um, and then the tokens represent shares in that company. Yes. So it's basically instead of um, – having 100 shareholders and sending them stock certificates, um, we're giving them tokens that are representative of their ownership, part ownership in that company. And because those tokens are on the blockchain, and because, as you said, the blockchain is immutable, it can't be changed, as soon as you have a token that, 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 that kind of defines your ownership of a share of that company on the blockchain, now you're an owner of that that company that owns that asset and it can't change unless you transfer that token to somebody else. And you know what? Someone listening to you would 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 possibly ask themselves, why tokenize? Why should I bother with it? Because you already have both technology, centralized, not decentralized, but centralized technologies, which have been around for decades, I guess some of them, which have allowed us to fractionalize ownership in, 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 in entities and to syndicate them to the crowd, to the public. So th- there's nothing new about that, right? If you go back a few hundred years, what started by a bunch of you know Dutchmen and Englishmen exchanging on the corner of Wall and Broad, those, those paper, you know, joint stock company certificates, you know, uh, it, it matured into a real, you know, what we now call capital markets. So the public markets have enjoyed uh, the benefits of, for example, liquidity and and price discovery for, for, for the longest time. So now uh, blockchain and namely tokenization is now bringing those benefits into a, a a traditionally static and illiquid world of private equity and real estate, right? Because, for example, uh, imagine you have a building, you're a property owner, and uh, if you're anything like me, you don't want to sell it. You maybe want to access some liquidity. Everyone needs to access liquidity sooner or later, unless you're, you know, some sort of like you know sovereign fund or so. So so then the question is. How do you value an asset that has limited liquidity? And that, uh, and that is the reason why traditionally, you know, real estate and other private equity in general has always suffered from this illiquidity discount. And uh, and and historically, these discounts uh, have been uh, quite dr- draconian, right? Um, you have some of the largest banks in the world, uh, which have uh, uh, provided. You know services to 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 clients who uh, bought you know private equity and then are selling the same private equity at a at a horrible discount. Um, I think there's multiple reasons for it, right? Uh, for 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 this illiquidity when it comes to private markets. Uh, one reason is obvious: they're just too shallow. There's no transparency. There's no price discovery. Um, the buyer and seller cannot effectively find each other, right? If you have the asset and you want to bring in an investor, you have to run around town looking for one, right? Shaking hands, pitching to privately to investors. And you know what? You may get a few of them. You may get some big ones. The bigger they are, the more control they're going to want. 
So here you are, you own the asset, but now you either owe money or you have investors, which is as as it's as far as I'm concerned, the same as owning money. Because once you take in third-party capital, now you have a job. Now you have a responsibility. You know, your life is no longer yours. Uh, so, so in that sense, tokenization offers you to take a piece of your asset. Don't sell the whole thing. Take 40% of the asset. You tokenize 40% of the asset. You syndicate it to a much broader pool of potential investors. You drop that, you know, ticket size uh, significantly. And you can now access huge pools of capital. Unlike these big investors with their lawyers and everything, now now you're dealing with silent investors who do what, you know, all good investors do is leave you alone and let you do your job, right? So one reason for liquidity is the fact that buyer and seller cannot find each other, right? Second reason for liquidity is once you're lucky enough to find an investor, now you have to dig through a mountain of paperwork, thousands of dollars in legal fees, brutal, excruciating process of papering it all up, right? Which puts tremendous amount of friction in, in the process. And lastly, and probably most importantly, the reason why uh, private markets are, are so so much less liquid, if you will, is is because of regulation. Because of regulation, especially when we're talking about real estate, we're really talking about securities, right? And uh, these securities are governed by a myriad of uh, regulatory regimes. So, uh, uh, if you are, you know, if you are an investor in a fund, for example, right? An LP investor in a fund. That fund has a minefield of regulations to navigate, right? If they go over 99 investors, 100 investors, uh, you lose the tax tax treatment. If uh, uh, if you're an uh, if you're an investor in a REIT, for example, right? This REIT, uh, firstly, can't fall under 100 investors; they lose the tax treatment. Can't go over 2,000 investors because now you have to become public report. Uh, start reporting uh, as a public company. You can't have more than, uh, you, you must have less than 50% uh, foreign uh, uh, investors in a REIT. Like, there's a, a million different regulatory uh, um, requirements that uh, a fund has to navigate, a fund manager. So, t- traditionally, all of this has to go to a fund manager, which is brutal. So now we're talking about technology which allows you to automate compliance. I call it programmable compliance. You can build compliance into the the, the, the token itself. So what do you have? Now you have a fund manager who can, if you look at both sides of the trade, on one side you have an investor who has more security, more visibility, more transparency, with, with 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 their investment. On the other side of the trade, you now have a fund manager who can finally do what he does best, 
and not worry so much about losing control of the cap table and uh, and falling out of regulatory tax compliance, uh, which uh, which I would imagine is a, is is a, is a point of friction for the industry. So I don't know if point of friction is the right expression, but yeah. so I, I I I love this. And while you're sitting here talking, I in my head I'm going through all these scenarios um, as an investor um, that are just so interesting. I, I want to kind of address. The three points you made. So number one, you talked about price discovery and efficiency of markets, buyers and sellers coming together. And it made me realize or think about the example of, let's say I own a Picasso painting, a $50 million Picasso painting. Let's say I want to sell that painting. Um, How many buyers out there are potentially going to buy my $50 million Picasso painting? I have to find them. I have to find the ones that specifically want this painting. And then because there are so few buyers, because it's such an inefficient market, I'm probably unlikely to get full price for it because there's not that much demand. So demand drives prices up. Lack of demand drives prices down. If there's only one person in in the world that wants it, he knows I need to sell it. Mm -hmm. Well, he knows he has a lot of leverage over me because I'm I'm reliant on him to buy it. So he can give me a low price. But let's say I could take that Picasso painting and say – I need $25 million. It's a $50 million painting. Today, I need $25 million. So I'm going to take 50% of that painting and fractionalize it, tokenize it, um, and I'm going to sell off half that painting to a million different people. And they're each going to pay me $25. I'm going to create a million tokens. They're each going to pay me $25. Now, there's a ton of demand for it because I'm sure I can find a million people that would love to own a piece of a Picasso painting. They can't afford $50 million, but they can afford $25. Absolutely. And so there's a ton of demand that drives the price up. I have my liquidity. I get my $25 million. And yes. in this case, I still own half of Picasso painting, yes. which is pretty cool. And it's probably still hanging on my wall. Yes. Now, yes. the investors, their benefit is to the second point, which is the the ability to prove ownership and trade ownership. So I syndicate real estate right now. And one of the biggest frustrations I have is um, I'll bring in an investor. We'll sign all the paperwork. The investor will say, how do I prove my ownership? And I'll say, well, here's your signed partnership agreement or whatever. They can take that. They can stick it in a file. They can prove their ownership, but they can't do anything with their ownership. They just Mm -hmm. have to wait. Yes. But if they have this token – um, that not only proves their ownership but can transfer ownership, they can now sell this token. Yes. I could come to you and say, hey, I own 1% of this skyscraper in New York City. Yes. Do you want to buy it from me? Or better yet, I could create a, a public market. I could create a, a website where we trade these tokens. Hey, yeah. how much is somebody willing to uh, – an eBay for tokens. Sure. Um, how much are you willing to pay for my 1% of, of this skyscraper? How much Absolutely. are you willing to pay for my one millionth of a share of this Picasso yes. painting? And now the people that invest in my deals, the people invest in, in anything have the ability not just to hold that investment and wait till it plays out, but they can now – they have liquidity in their investment. They can they can yes. trade it with other people. They can sell it. And again, because there's probably going to be no more demand in this open market, mm-hmm. it keeps the price up as well. So, Jay, you said a number of things that, of course, are irresistible, right, as far as the potential and the promise that the technology holds. But I think it's also important to to have a sober view of what is possible today and what the technology theoretically allows, right? Syndicating to millions of investors may may, may sound great in theory, but there's a universe of regulatory requirements that you have to honor and comply with. So depending on where you're doing it, 
which geographic location, which jurisdiction, uh, you either may or may not be able to syndicate to as many as you want. On the other hand, public markets have existed for many years, okay? Uh, Reg A has been around for ages. You don't see everyone running to buy some small penny stock just because it's fractionalized and it's liquid. Mm -hmm. So the point I'm making is it's important not to exaggerate sure. the value of tokenization and it's important not to exaggerate the value of liquidity in some of these cases. So um, when we're talking about uh, syndications and tokenization, right? Uh, even when 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 it pertains to 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 art industry, for example, uh, practically speaking, what we've been able to do so far is again tokenize entities that have interest in these assets or own these assets okay and the same for picasso in fact the 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 technique itself has existed for decades and this there's this unspoken clandestine you know world in the art business which has been exchanging these stock certificates between one another for for many many years so it's a it's a fascinating uh, uh, topic uh, one i don't claim to know a lot about but but uh, so so the mechanisms have existed for a long time we've been trading interest in these entities for a long time so the question is why tokenize why can't you just sell interest in in, in your in your entity without tokenizing and another thing that is is important not to exaggerate is the the potential of tokenization to automatically create this this liquidity this these these mature two-sided markets at the end all of a sudden everyone wants to trade this asset and all of a sudden everyone wants to buy and sell it we, we can dream exactly yes <laughs> yes but but i think the reality is tokenizing fractionalizing and tokenizing an asset in itself will not make it liquid so I think for true liquidity, you need A, standards, industry-wide standards, whether these are blockchain-specific standards, protocol-specific standards, device-specific standards. So standards, standards, standards. And secondly, you need secondary trading environments. You need secondary markets for this promise of liquidity to one day truly you know uh, become real you need mature secondary markets for all of these assets to now uh, to, to be able to access true liquidity in my opinion yeah I, so I yes I 100% agree and I probably did exaggerate and I get excited because I think about like where but we I could love be it. in five or ten years but here's the other thing as a syndicator myself the third piece you mentioned the regulation piece and and regulation efficiency through technology um, is huge as well huge I, I, I think about the fact that every time I raise money for one of my syndications, there's a lot of stuff that I have to do to verify my investors. I have to make sure that they're accredited. I have to get them to fill out a whole bunch of paperwork. I might have to do a KYC, a know your customer. Um, if, they're, if they're foreign, there might be tax filings or, or other regulation that they have to adhere to. Absolutely. And the nice thing is once this is all – on the blockchain, once this is all um, one, and, and I'm not saying this is going to be in the next year or even five years, but at some point, um, we may be able to digitize 
this reputation. We may be able to formalize on the blockchain who's accredited, who's not accredited. Um, we may be able to formalize the KYC process so that I don't have to ask for a copy of their driver's license or their passport to verify who they are. Yes. Maybe the blockchain already can verify who they are. So yes. me as uh, somebody who puts together these investments, um, not only does it make my job easier, but it also makes it safer for the ecosystem um, because it's harder to cheat the system. If you want to cheat the system, obviously, it's not as good for you. Yes. Um, but for those of us who like to do things within securities law, mm -hmm. this makes our job easier as well. So there yes. really are uh, uh, all of these great benefits. Absolutely. I'd love to talk now about where are we today? So I know we talk about, again, I, I have my dreams and where we go in the future and, and I buy my one, one millionth of a Picasso. Um, but that's not re reality today. Yes. What is reality today? Where where is the the industry? Where is tokenization for investments like real estate today? And where do you expect that we're going to get to in the next year or two or three? What's that roadmap look like? So, I think uh, it can be said that. Uh, um, so I don't want to oversell it. Uh, the, the space uh, is, 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 is still somewhat nascent, but it is moving very fast. And while uh, the technology has uh, a proven and tested use case already in, in its ability to raise capital, fast, cheap, efficient, um, there's a universe of other use cases which I think have yet to mature over time. One of which we spoke about, we need sec mature secondary markets for, for, for a lot of these assets to have access to the types of liquidity we're hoping for. Uh, you also need universal standards. Well, when I say universal, any standards will be good. We'll take any standards. So you already have projects and companies that are addressing this need for standards, especially when it comes to real estate. So um, as far as use cases for, for real estate are concerned, one of the biggest ones is land registries, for example. You have pockets um, uh, in the world where people are simply unable to provide any proof of their ownership of, of, of a property while they are the fifth generation that has lived on that land. There are places in Brazil, places in Africa. There's places in Republic of Georgia, where I'm from originally, where a family has lived in a home for over a hundred years and they don't have any indicia of ownership. So uh, you call that debt capital. These people are completely excluded. So, so I think that's a great use case, but again, Standards, standards, standards. If you take United States alone, you have this patchwork of states and counties and townships. Everyone has their own systems of recording. Everything is analog. Everything is archaic. And there's no, like in crypto, we say cross-chain interoperability. Zero. One county doesn't talk to the other. One state doesn't talk to the other. So you have a desperate need for standards. I call it rails. This, regardless of how amazing of an engine that you build, if you don't have rails, if you don't have tracks on which this engine can run, and those rails are A, regulatory maturity, and B, standards, then you can have the fastest engine in the world and you will you know, be limited in terms of how fast it can go. Does that make sense? It makes hundred. absolutely makes sense. And I, I also want to bring up one other thing that I often think about um, is case law. 
Um, so when it comes to, let's talk about real estate, I mean, when it comes to title and deed and ownership, um, and certainly I'm no expert here, but I have to imagine that- You're not fooling anyone. <laughs> there, there, there are hundreds of years of case law that really define what ownership means and how you prove ownership. And until we have new case law that basically says, hey, I can record title or I can I can define title um, not by f registering a deed with the county but by doing something on the blockchain until the government and the judicial system recognizes that this is something that needs to be ensconced in case law yes basically we can do it all we want you and I can do it all we want but then when I you sell me something that we record on the blockchain you and I are happy but then one day I say nope I don't think I sold it to you and I go to court and and uh, an 80 year old judge, says, I have no idea what the blockchain yeah. is. I have no idea. Unless you've recorded a deed, he hasn't sold it to you. Yeah. And so it, it's there's a lot of risk around around the case law as well. There is. There is. I mean, our 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 property law uh, 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 framework in general is very much based on on the on the English common law, right? So there's so there's a tremendous amount of similarity, um, both in, in 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 positives and negatives. And uh, you're absolutely right. With this advent of, of, of you know, AI and uh, blockchain and machine learning, little by little, it's transforming our understanding of ownership, right? Like, like we said before, it's sovereign, programmable ownership. It is to disintermediate the gatekeepers, you know, disintermediate this centralized points of vulnerability, if you will, right? That same township, that same municipality that is now in charge of telling you what you own. And, and, and for example, MERS system, talk about an example of decrepit, broken system as far as liens and mortgages are concerned. Um, so, so these, these are, these, these areas are ripe for, uh, for, for automation. And, uh, so yeah, I, I think, um, I think now we live in a world where uh, our understanding of an ownership is evolving and uh, the technology is now allowing us to interact with one another peer to peer. The technology is allowing for transactions to settle real time. There's no longer such a thing as settlement time. It's real time, peer to peer, no counterparty risk. I mean, it's truly transformative if you think about it. And I think provided the regulatory framework continues to develop, um, this will become a, a, a bigger part of our everyday, everyday life. Alex, this has been absolutely fascinating. I love this discussion. I want to have you back every year because I want to talk about You're what's new kind. because I have a feeling things are going to move very quickly over the yes, next few are. years. Uh, for our listeners who uh, want to learn more about you, maybe want to reach out to you, maybe want to retain your services, uh, how can they get in touch with you or learn more about you? Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, those who, uh, who, who want to uh, contact me uh, are welcome to do so um, either by, by LinkedIn um, I'm Alexander Kanan on LinkedIn or by, by telephone or, or website, www.kananlaw.com. Awesome. Alex, this has been absolutely fascinating. I really appreciate you being here and I look forward to talking to you again soon. Thank you very much. Thank you. <laughs>